the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Welcome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and this time that you've given us, Lord, to share your word. Father, we pray that you would give us understanding of your word and that you would be with myself and my special guests and and Sean there and everyone else that's helping to put the show together. Lord, we ask your uh, grace and your mercy and also your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So welcome, um, listeners. We're on Psalm 63, and I'm going to start with um, giving you a little bit of background. This is David again in the wilderness of Judah. He, um, he's been in the wilderness so often, as you know. And, and this is one of his really precious uh, writings as he's talking about um, being in the wilderness and seeking God. So let's start with the beginning here. It says, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Verse 1, O God, art thou, I'm sorry, O God, thou art God, my God. Early I will seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in the dry and thirsty land where there is no, where, where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. And so here David is letting God know his desires. He's thirsty and there's no water. So he's longing for, for God. Uh, verse 3, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands on, in, in thy name. Here is David putting God in high esteem. He's lifting him up. He's lifting his hands up to the Lord. My lips shall praise thee. Thus I will bless thee. And he's lifting up his hands to to the Lord. Um, Verse five, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise thee with joy, with joyful lips. Sorry about that. I will, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou has been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings, I will rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand holdeth me. So he's depending on God. He's communicating with the Lord and he's depending on God um, to get him through this. Verse verse 9, but those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes, but the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall, shall glory, but the mouth of them that speaketh lies shall be stopped. So he's triumphing over his enemies here. So praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that you give us understanding there of your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. I'd like to introduce my guest to you. Um, We're just trying to figure out how long it is that we've known each other. And no earlier than 2006, maybe as late as 2008, um, at that time, we had made several trips uh, to Dearborn, uh, going to their, the uh, Arabic fair there, tr- ministering to the Muslims. Uh, we found out that um, that Dearborn had, at the time, I don't know, there might be more. Um, there's, I'm sure there are more. But at the time, there were about 350,000 Muslims in the, the city of Dearborn, so the largest congregation of Muslim people. And be, our, because of our love for the Muslims and our heart to share Christ with them, we were making trips to Dearborn. And on one of the trips, we met Tom Bear. So welcome, Tom, to On the Road with Jesus. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Okay. So 
Um, I'd like for our listeners to get to know you a little bit. And I'd like to take them all the way back to the beginning, where you were, where you grew up, how many kids in the family, uh, were your parents the kind of parents that took you to church on Sunday? What kind of background did you have um, growing up? Well, uh, I was born right here in Dearborn. And by the way, for anybody that doesn't know, Dearborn is a, a suburb of Detroit, a pretty big suburb. And just to clarify one thing about the Muslim population, it's really the highest concentration of Arabic-speaking Muslims outside of the Mideast. Now, I know there's a lot of Muslims in other places in the United States, uh, such as Los Angeles, but there they tend to be more of a, our, our Iranian background. But here it's Arabic, so we have people from uh, Lebanon, Yemen, Iraq mainly. But as far as I am concerned, uh, my background, I uh, was born right here in Dearborn, and it was back in 1954, so that puts me up there a few years. I've always lived around here. Uh, my father was an entrepreneur, uh, so uh, we we did pretty well. Uh, he he was uh, owned a business in computer technologies. My mother was a psychologist for the Detroit Public Schools. Uh, she was an atheist, so uh, we were not a religious family at all. Uh, they took us to church once or twice, and all I can remember is um, trying to uh, wish that we weren't there. <laughs> my, my brother and me would just be fiddly, f- fidgeting in the uh, pew. So anyway, how old were you when they, when they took you to church? Like, were you in your teens or were you younger? Younger. I, I think we only went a couple times. Uh-huh. Uh, I think my mother, my mother had a, um, a sort of an experience uh, with uh, my, my sister got rheumatic fever. And, and for a very short period, she started to think about spiritual things. So I think maybe just a couple times when I, I was around the third grade, fourth grade, that type of thing. Uh, as far as uh, my background, as far as education goes, I, 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 I used to get all A's. Wow. I was the type of person I was. Uh, up until about the 11th grade, that's the type of student I was. Uh, then it all started to unravel. We'll talk about that in a minute or two. Um, is there any other questions before uh, uh, about my background? Uh, family so of, of you weren't really teachers, but uh, were you the oldest in the family? No, I was the third born. Okay. So I have uh, an older sister, uh, an older brother, myself, and then uh, my younger sister. So um, was it sounds like your mother made education a big part of your lives. I mean, you're, here you are getting straight A's. Were your sisters and brothers in similar situations? Yeah, I think we all excelled pretty, pretty well. Okay, um, was, yeah. okay. so um, I'd like to know, um, you know, the Bible says that Jesus knocks on the door and and if we open the door, he will come in and sup with us. Now, there probably been more than one time that you could sense that God was possibly knocking on the door of your heart. I know that you accepted the Lord, but tell us a little bit about your background prior to accepting the Lord and what caused you to come to know Christ. Okay, well... As I was saying earlier, there was a couple of times when I was in the third grade or fourth grade, can't remember, where we did make it to church. And and I was in the Sunday school. And the most notable thing I remember about that experience is that they happened to be teaching about the Ten Commandments that Mm -hmm. day. And I remember listening to these Ten Commandments and thinking to myself, well, I I can't do that. (laughs) This is uh, I don't see how I'm ever going to measure up. That was the extent of the thought processes I was having uh, related to my church experience. Uh, But uh, that was about the end of the church experience. So um, uh, by the time I got to seventh grade, I was very worldly minded. My mother ingrained that in all of us. Um, I was uh, aware of what was going on in the world around me back then. It was the time of the Cold War, and I really believe that this uh, God used this in my life to uh, cause me to wonder what what's going to happen, because I, I really did expect nuclear war to come upon us by the time I was in the seventh grade. Wow. And uh, by the time 
uh, I was in the ninth grade uh, because I, I thought, well, nuclear war any day now, um, I might as well experiment with drugs. And so I, I began to do that. Um, uh, why not is what I thought. Uh, so uh, I tried whatever I could find. Uh, they, back then, I was like a pioneer with drugs. I mean, no one else in school was using them. Uh, that was uh, back in the early, well, mid-60s. Uh, so whatever I could find, I would, I would try, you know, taking, for example, alcohol out of the cupboard uh, from my parents' cupboard, or if I could find pills, or occasionally someone would have something uh, that was actual drugs. And we, whenever we could, we could try, we could take that. And when you, say time, drug, when you say drugs, what, what kind of drugs are you thinking of? Or is it like cocaine, marijuana? Um, um, no, back then, back then, the, whatever we could find would be pills, that type of thing, okay. until I got into high school. And in high school, I, by the time I got to 11th grade, I was completely addic addicted to marijuana. Okay. Um, I had to have that just to remain, you know, jovial because I was... Uh, Without it, I was completely depressed because I was smoking it every day by the time I was in 11th grade. And, and let me and, stop yeah. you. Were you still getting these straight A's? Well, that's uh, by, why I mentioned the 11th grade. Uh, when I really began to do a lot of the marijuana, there goes the grades. Oh, okay. you know, so my, I, I also was, uh, at one time, uh, the second best swimmer in, the, in Michigan. So um, that went downhill, too, with the drugs. Um, uh, I also, uh, by the time I was in 11th grade, though, I was doing other things. I had been doing LSD. and But the, the worst of them all was PCP. Back then, that was a very big thing around mm -hmm. here. And it's a very powerful drug. And I think that, uh, uh, well, it was just a very dark time in my life. So uh, there was no more trying to keep up with the good grades. Uh, I did graduate high school, but, um, you know, by the time I did, uh, it was C's and D's. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. By the time it was 12th grade, I think I met my wife, Linda, and, uh, you know, we were party animals. That's all we were. Uh, we were definitely had no influence whatsoever. Uh, that it was good in our life. Um, so by the time we graduated from high school, uh, against all advice from everybody around me, we got married. We thought, well, we did everything else. I guess this is what we should do next. So wow. we got married. So and got within married a, right out of high school then? Yes, right out of high school. And within a year, that was not good. Our, our marriage had really uh, was never off to a good start. And uh, by the time a year went by, I was hopelessly addicted to PCP and other uh, drugs at that time, as well as other things like pornography. It was just a very unhealthy uh, situation as far as a marriage goes. Now, Tom, it, it can really, I ask you a yeah. little question here? Um, are, are, are both of you working? Are you living alone? Or are you living with one of your parents? Actually, uh, by the time uh, we graduated high school, I had saved up enough money during my more productive years uh, because I did do a, a lot of working that we did buy a very small house wow. and we were working. We were both working and, and uh, I didn't know how long that would last because of the drugs. Uh, it, it just seemed like the handwriting was on the wall that this couldn't last. Plus, the marriage seemed like it would be over. Um, I, by the time uh, 1975 rolled around, I had overdosed twice. They had to pump my heart and all that just to keep it going. So um, that's looked dismal, to say the least. Yes, I would uh, agree. My brother, though, was a Christian by this time, and uh, he would try talking to us on occasion. Okay, let me stop yeah. you there. Is this yeah. your oldest brother, or who? What? Yes. Which? which per, okay, he he's already accepted the Lord. Is he married? No, he's not. Okay. He's, not, he's married. not married. You're the only one married in the family so far. So he he tries talking to you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, he said to me, uh, "Try reading the Bible," and I said, oh, "Okay." And so I tried reading the Bible, and I thought, "This is boring." Yeah. I don't see what good this is. I don't make any sense of it. That's that's my exposure to the Bible. Um, in fact, uh, my wife and I, when my brother would come around with his Christian friends, we would just sit and make fun of them. And we, we wouldn't do it in front of their faces. Of course not. But, you know, they, they looked to us to be very boring people. 
because they would just sit around and maybe talk and some of them would sing with a guitar and stuff like this. And, you know, to ourselves, we thought this is these I wouldn't want to live like that. Um, anyway, my brother did ask me at one point, he said, if God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And I remember thinking, hmm, <laughs> there's not much in my life that I could uh, uh, boast about. So I, the only thing I came up with is, well, I, I never killed anyone. And, and that was about all I could say to his question. Um, so he let me know at that time that um, I was doomed at the judgment based upon you know my own testimony and my lifestyle. But he also said, you know, nobody is good enough, really, because uh, I was thinking, well, I never killed anyone as if that was a some something good to talk about. But he said, really, nobody's good enough. Uh, so he did tell me. And a lot of this, by the way, was going over my head because I was sort of confused back then. Uh, but he did tell me that uh, God made a way by sending his son to die, uh, to take our punishment. Uh, no one can be good enough, but God sent his son to make a way. And he also said this, and, and this seemed to have uh, a lot of impact with me for quite a while. He said, God has a purpose for my life. And I thought, well, that's interesting because right now my life doesn't seem to have any purpose at all. And uh, it's just going from party to party, living from for the moment and without any purpose at all. Anyway, I tried to keep living my life that way. Uh, my brother was, would come over and talk to us occasionally, but I tried to keep living my life of pleasure. But I noticed that my life was growing more miserable and I couldn't put my finger on why. You know, we would go to parties over the weekend. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't have fun anymore at my parties. And this really bothered me. It made me mad because I was just a miserable person. And I remember my brother saying, well, ask Jesus to come into your heart. Well, so I tried that a couple of times and nothing that didn't work. Um, so after about eight months of being miserable, one night uh, I wasn't on drugs for about a couple of days, which is very rare. But I was feeling very depressed and I was feeling very lost. And so I told Linda to go downstairs. Anyway, I said, now, okay. Jesus. Can I, can I ask you a question? Are, are you living in the same house you were living in at the time? Yes, we're so, living, still living together. At the same house. Okay. Yeah, at the same house. And I was upstairs and I said, I think you should go downstairs. And she, so she went downstairs. Anyway, I, I asked Jesus to come in my heart again. Uh, but this time it was like God answered back uh, without the ears, but he answered back. Um, he said, you know, you don't mean that. Uh, you don't love me. You love your friends. You love drugs. And and when he was, it was like saying these things into my heart. And it was like, I was convinced of them immediately. Like, yeah, this is, yeah. Then uh, one of the last things he said was, I want your life. And I thought, oh, hmm, I don't know about that. And and so I think I was wrestling with that question for a, a while. I, I, I was unaware of the time that was going by. My wife later on said it, I was up there for five hours or something. Wow. Like that. Wow. Yeah, I, 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 I lost track of the time. But eventually I remember thinking to myself, I might as well give up because I'm just going to die because I already overdosed a couple of times. And I just it just seems like uh, I was close to the end. So I gave up that night. Uh, I didn't care anymore. And I remember coming downstairs that night and Linda was coming upstairs as I was coming downstairs. And she said, what, what happened to you? I said, I don't know. <laughs> she says, well, you look different. I said, I don't know. I was actually quite confused about what was going on. I didn't know. All I know is uh, my life began to change from that moment. Uh, the next week, my friends would come over and they would start try to pass the marijuana around. And I remember saying to them, I don't know why, but I don't want that. And I thought to myself, what's going on here? You know, the pit, my, pit, uh, my friends were like, what's with him? You know, um, my wife told me around that time that she made an appointment with a lawyer to get a divorce because right that time. it changed so significantly 
or because no, no, just because she had had enough up until then. Okay. I, I was I, no one should have been living with me. I was a pathetic, bad person, very bad person in many okay. ways. I, I, I'm not going to go into all the detail, but I'm not I'm not very pleased with how I treated her or anybody else. So anyway, I said to her, maybe you should wait just a little while because something I think Jesus did something to me. I said something like that. Anyway, uh, she heard this Jesus talk. Okay, and then. My sister, younger sister and her, they planned, I heard later, to have me committed after they heard the Jesus talk. <laughs> um, so you must be uh, crazy. Right. I, I got it. Well, you know what? I, I don't blame them because up until then, I, I couldn't even look at a person in the eye when I was talking. That's how depressed I was. I, I was had no self-confidence. Anyway, my brother, I asked him because he was a Christian. I says, uh, maybe I should go to church. Uh, where should I go? And he, he he says, well, there's this one downtown in Detroit. I says, well, that's far away. He says, well, that's the only one I can recommend. I said, what about your church? He says, I, I can't recommend it. <laughs> that's what he said to me. Um, so he said, though, uh, about a month went by. I still hadn't gone to church, never been to church since that third grade or whatever. Um, and I he said to me, there's this guy that's coming to our church on a Saturday night, why don't you come and, and see that? So I went there and um, I listened and he was reading from the Bible. You know, this is the Bible that I call boring. And I thought, wow, what, what is this? And he was talking about what he was reading. And I'm thinking, I, I got to read this. So I went home and about a week, I read the whole New Testament. My life from that point really began to change. I remember about a month later, my, my wife drove up. I don't know where she was, but she drove up. I'm in the backyard burning Playboy books and doing stuff like that. And she's thinking, what is with this guy? <laughs> but my life was definitely changed by this point. And she began to take notice. And within a couple months, she also began to follow Christ. And we got baptized at the church that my brother said was no good. But that God did use that church in my life. I, we stayed there for quite some time. Uh, but right off the bat, I, I thought, I, I'm not getting enough here. I, I'm going to go to Bible college. So a couple of friends of mine went to Bible college. Yeah, wow. I, I just wasn't getting enough. I couldn't get enough Bible. So yeah. that's what, what I began to do. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of ministry right away, though, that I was doing. Except that I began to teach, you know, because uh, I was going to Bible college. I must know something, supposedly. But uh, so I, I was teaching adult Sunday school. We didn't have too much outreach at this uh, church. But there was this one guy, Tom Elliott. And he uh, he said to a couple of us, hey, why don't you guys uh, go with me door to door? He had, he had an evangelistic heart. And so he said, first, let's train a little. So he trained us a, a little bit. Um, and then uh, we went out for the first time door to door in a trailer park. And I thought, wow, this is great. I want to keep doing this forever. You know, um, so it was a great experience. We only went a few times and then he didn't do it anymore. So that was the end of that. I didn't know what, what to do to pull that type of thing together. Uh, but I do remember writing tracks and thinking, I got to give this message out. I didn't know that there was such a thing as a gospel track that mm -hmm. you could just buy, you know? So I wrote my own and we went to uh, shopping centers and I was giving these tracks out to people at the shopping center. There was something that the Lord did inside of me that wanted to reach out to the unbelieving people around me. Yeah. And so uh, that was the extent of the, that type of ministry. It was hit and miss. It wasn't consistent. I did uh, eventually become a deacon and, and that type of thing. And uh, I, I was rejoicing in what the Lord had done. Uh, he was using me to help others, to disciple others and stuff like that. But um, I, I think there was some things that in that church that uh, I, I wish had been done a little differently as far as what they were teaching. Uh, one of the things that they were teaching is what I now call all set theology. Okay. By that, I mean, salvation is something that happened in my past. I got saved. Now we're so used to saying that, 
we sing Amazing Grace, right? Uh, that saved a wretch like me. He saved me. But um, that was predominantly what I thought of as far as salvation goes. It's something that happened in my past. And no one ever spent much time telling me that, you know, you must endure to the end mm-hmm. to be saved. I knew that that was in the Bible, but frankly, I didn't like to read verses like that because it meant that I have to be on the edge of my seat and be a little bit more on the alert. Well, so, it's a matter of growing in the Lord. It's a process. You know, we don't we don't kind of get rid of all of our hangups and, you know, we, we have baggage that we carry. I know that I, I happen to have grown up in a Christian home, so my parents, you know, didn't didn't do things that were unchristian-like. But um, fortunately for us, we grew up in a really good, loving environment. But that's not the same for everyone. And and I know people that are Christians that are struggling in their walk with the Lord even today because of things that happened to them as children. And so, yes, you're saved, but it's a process. God is molding us, helping us, you know, all of that kind of thing. But I do want to get back to something that you said, and I, I want to get some clarity on this. Um, you mentioned that your brother um, pretty much led you to the Lord. He had something to do with putting that idea in your head about why don't you ask Jesus into your heart? Um, are, are, you have five siblings in your family. Is that right? You and four others. Three, oh, three. I'm sorry, three. Four of us total. Oh, oh, four of you totally. So, are the other um, siblings? Are they walking with the Lord as well? Uh, all but my younger sister. Okay. Walking so, with the Lord. So, so, I'm very happy about that. So, three out of four so far, and you guys are praying for one. So, um, that's wonderful. The other question I had that you were, as you were talking, was um, your your wife began to follow Jesus. Now, was that by your was that by your example, or was that just by maybe you asked her? How did that happen? Did you, or maybe by taking her to church? Um, how, you don't have to get into anything deep with it, but I just wanted to know: Did you lead her to Christ? Did she see by example, or maybe you took her to church? Well, she'll tell you that she saw a change that a was night and day. Yeah, yeah. and that caused her. She had a little bit of a, a spiritual background as a child, even though her life was, as a child, not that good. She did have some Christian influence, so uh, more than I did. So when she saw a complete change in me, she began to go to the church with me. Oh, great. And, okay, so that, that answers my question there. I don't want to leave any gaps there. The other thing I had a question about was um, um, you and your wife are doing ministry today together, but that was a process. So I'd like to hear a little bit about how you decide. So, okay, let me just clarify. So you've taught adult Bible study. You've knocked on doors with your friends. You've made tracts and you've handed them out. Um, How do you get to the place that you're witnessing to Muslims? I'd like to concentrate on that because we've got about 20 minutes and I want to really focus in, um, focus in on on how that process happened for you. Okay. Well, uh, let me just say a couple things, and I'm going to transition right to that. Okay. okay. That um, because this is really looking back is is an important part of what happened to bring me to that point of where I'm at today, and that is that I uh, both my wife and I our hearts grew cold. There was a church split. And we uh, we started to try to maintain Bible studies and that type of thing. Uh, but frankly, we ended up on the outside looking in. And eventually those Bible studies petered out and we weren't going to church. So uh, we, we, we really um, came to close to a complete ruin in our marriage and everything as Christians. Mm-hmm. So it was a tragic situation where we started out well, but our hearts grew cold. It was really our own fault. I'm not blaming anybody else but ourselves. But that's played a big role in uh, what happened next. And that is, um, out of his mercy, God arranged for a lot of difficulties to come to us. 
in, in our marriage. And he brought trials of all sorts to us. And I was completely numb by this time spiritually, but God used these trials to draw our attention back to him. And I kept, at this point, we, we started to go to church again, but I, I was numb, but I began to hear truth again, including other truth, like, you know what, you must endure to the end. And so even though I didn't have any power within myself, God began to revive me. And so he restores my soul, as Psalm 23 says. Okay, there's no more at this point, there's no more pretense, which I had a lot of before this all happened. There was now a, a revival in our hearts. Both of us, uh, like never before, were pursuing Jesus. Okay, um, we were two years after, after this, we spent in Sunday school in learning from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 to 5. And it, there was a lot in there about evangelism. But we weren't doing anything. We were just like sponges. Um, and then after a couple of years, I looked at my friend, Dave, and I said, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, it reminded me of the lepers from Second Kings chapter 7. They, they go pillaging these tents and no one else knows about it but them. And I thought, wow, we can't keep doing this. We, we know what God wants and, and we're just sitting on this information. So I said, let's go door to door, Dave. And so we started doing that in the area of the church, not anywhere there's Muslims. Just this is in Taylor, Michigan, a different suburb, no Muslims. But we started doing that. We did that for about five years. And the more I did it, the more God awakened me and strengthened me like never before. And so I began to sense that God wanted me to be doing this type of thing as a pattern of my life. And so the more I evangelized, the more he awakened me, the more he strengthened me. And I began to sense that God wanted this to be me, okay, not just something I do occasionally. And I wondered if God had been calling me into what they call full-time ministry. Frankly, I didn't know what that meant. That was just a term I had heard. Um, besides that, I was making a very good living as a sales engineer by this time. And so the idea of not making that money <laughs> was sort of a frightening concept. Um, anyway, um, I kept telling him, the Lord, to do whatever he wanted to do. And I was open for whatever that was. And then an answer came. There was a downturn in my industry. And all of a sudden, I was no longer working. And it was very much at that time um, that we thought, well, this must be God's answering our prayers we just didn't know where the money was going to come from. Mm -hmm. And we tried doing the, uh, you know, searching out mission agencies and stuff like that. But that didn't seem to make sense to us. We didn't like the idea of going around trying to drum up support. It just didn't sit well with us. And it was right around that time that uh, someone gave my wife a little article about George Mueller. This is a guy that lived a couple hundred years ago. Yeah. He was a man. I would recommend everybody become acquainted with this man. But he, he's a man that lived by faith. He never told anybody his needs. He just told God. And so when that article, I saw that, I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I wonder if God wants us to live like that. Because I didn't, I didn't have any faith to, to live like that. Trust me. And so, uh, but eventually we, we both agreed God wants us to, to, to live like that. And so we began without any mission, mission agency. Uh, we just said, whatever you want. If you give me little odd jobs, because I could do, you know, house remodeling, you know, could do that. Um, or if people give, whatever you want. And so that's how we lived for uh, quite a while. And it was awesome because God was answering prayers in a very mighty way. Our children were seeing this. It was just awesome. Um, anyway, uh, that's what we did. Um, and it was around this time that our church began to become acquainted with this, the Muslim population. In around 2006, uh, they recognized that God was using me as an evangelist. It was just obvious to them. And they decided as a church to send me and a couple other guys to Dearborn to the Muslim population as if that's the mission field that God brought to us right in our back door. And so we began to plant a church because this is what they told us to do. Uh, so we began going door to door. That's the main ministry that I do. 
passing out tracks, but mainly talking with people, knocking on doors and striking up conversations. And I've been doing that now every Saturday for 15 years. Uh, now, very few Muslims have come to Christ or professed to know Christ since then. There's not been very many. There have been non-Muslims that have been affected more so in our ministry. And they, they come to our meetings, okay? Occasionally, a Muslim will come to our meeting or two, and then they lose interest. But there have been a few, a very small number, that I think have been touched by Christ and have come to Christ, uh, some of which have moved away since then to uh, other countries or other cities, a um, couple around here still that go to ch other churches. Um, anyway, we preach that unless a person is willing to die for Jesus, he can't be his disciple. This is wow. something that Jesus, that's what Jesus taught. And so, you know, we're not going to get a lot of people, you know, just coming flippantly to our meetings and stay hanging around because they're hearing the truth. This is what Jesus said. They're, they're hearing the whole truth, not just that. But it, we're not the type of people that just say, hey, if you pray this prayer, you're all set. Uh, no, we're preaching the gospel. You must follow Christ. Uh, anyway, um, right now, um, there's a few people who, um, there, there was this one guy, I remember Wafi uh, from Iraq, He's no longer living around here. I think he's ended up back in Iraq. But I remember one of the things he said as we were doing Bible studies, this is many years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago, 12 years ago. He, he was had the Bible in his hand. And he said to me, he looked up and he said, this book is alive. <laughs> uh, and so he was a wonderful person that we, we loved uh, being with Wafi. And uh, eventually, I think he began to follow Christ, but he had moved away by then to uh, Minneapolis. And then he later, he, I hear he moved back to Iraq. There was another man, Hussein, older man, and uh, I gave him a Bible. Um, and then nothing seemed to happen with him. We had conversations going door to door. This is where we meet these people. And then he, I heard he, he fell down in his uh, place of work, ended up in the hospital. So I went to visit him and I gave him a gospel of John. And he, he was a captive audience because he was in the hospital, just laying there with a broken hip. So he read the whole gospel of John a couple times while he was in there. And by the time I went to see him again, he was excited about Jesus. And so I gave him a, a whole New Testament. And I remember coming back in a month or so or two. And, and he said, I said to him, do you ever read that New Testament that I gave you? And he, he walked over across the room, picked it up, brought it back. And he said, uh, three or four per day. I says, oh, three or four minutes. That's good. He says, no, 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 no. Three or four hours a day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So now yeah, he, he was, on this, this particular um, gentleman, did you give him a a, a New Testament in Arabic, or did you give it to him in English? Both. Oh, okay. We try to give it, you know, the, where it has side by side English exactly. and Arabic. Yeah. yeah that's so very parallel levels. That's really, really good. That's yeah. wonderful. Wow. Two really great stories. Now, um, could you t can you bring us up to something more current as you've talked to, um, as you've been knocking on doors? And you don't have to mention their names. And it doesn't have to be somebody that you've led to Christ, but just maybe one, two, or three examples of people that you have shared Christ with by knocking on doors and what the process was and, and where you've taken it, because some of the conversations can be quite long. So give me a lot of details on each person. You, you can just say well, male or female or give the letter R or whatever they're... they're no, I'll maybe. tell you. I'll tell you, one, one of the most significant people was a woman mm -hmm. named Patience. And uh, when we went up to her door, she's from Liberia. Oh. Her husband is Lebanese mm -hmm. and he's a Muslim. She's not. She wasn't a Muslim ever. Um, she thought she was a Christian when mm -hmm. she was in Liberia, but she was way far away from the Lord if she was a Christian at all. When we first met her, we came up to the door and her oldest son answers the door. And uh, we told him that we're Christians and we'd like to talk. And he goes and tells his, his mother and his mother says, I don't want to talk to them. And this is patience. And so he comes. Well, he says to her, are you sure about that? 
you're, you're not supposed to tell people of, of the book that he was a Muslim. <laughs> and so she came out and okay, sat down. Just a second. I, I do want to tell our viewers because you've used a term and I want to make sure that they know what it is um, in the Quran or in the Hadith, it talks about the people of the book. The people of the book in the Quran is really people that follow the book, meaning the Bible. Um, they yes. refer to these people of the book as being Bible followers, just as a broad term. Um, so oftentimes when we're, say, ministering to Muslims or sharing with Muslims, we we lead them to the Quran where it says the people of the book and we and we call ourselves the people of the book, so because they they hold that that term in high esteem. But anyhow, go ahead and finish your sharing. I just want to clarify. Well, so, so the um, she comes out of the house and we she brings chairs out on the lawn and we all sat there for about two hours. A lot of our conversations, by the, by the way, end up being two hours long, going door to door. Oh, that's great. That was. That was one of those. And ever since then, we've known her and we started Bible study at her house with her and a couple of friends. And um, she eventually became a, a, a follower of Christ in a very real way. She has connections. I want to mention this because it's a big thing for us now. She has connections still back in Liberia because she's only been here about five, six years. One of these uh, people that she knows back there is a pastor. Well, he used to be a teacher, but now what happened with COVID is um, there was maybe a thousand people that were in Monrovia, the capital, that are now out in the jungle because they're all homeless. And there's lots of orphans there. Patience has a, a, a connection with orphans over there. She, on her own, started a building, a, 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 a building for a school. And we're helping, and other Christians who get my emails will contribute. And now out in the bush, there's this school building, and wow. it's for free. It's for free for those people. And so it just so happens that a lot of Muslim children started attending the church. And very recently, 11 of those children were baptized. And they were not they're, they were educated about the gospel. It wasn't something that they were just doing flippantly. In so, their parents are coming to the church services. So in other words, we're doing this Muslim ministry here, seeing not a lot of bodies showing up at our meetings. But over there, through this ministry, suddenly there's a lot of Muslims in Liberia, out in the bush, coming to Jesus Christ. And it's awesome. So That's we're happy, very happy. Story. That is a beautiful story. Um, recently, I received an email from you um, talking about some current um, sharings that you've had uh, in, in the last week or two. Give us a little example of somebody that you've shared with. When you go up to the door, what are you prepared with? What kind of, what kind of um, tracks are you taking with you? Obviously, before you go, you're praying. And you're asking the the Holy Spirit to 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 give you words to speak, but you've had some preparation already. You're you're taking tracks with you. You've got your Bible with you. What do you do before you you know you knock on the door? What do you say? Well, when they come to the door, we're not going to be covert about it. We just tell them, "Hello, we're Christians going door to door. Uh, would you like to talk with us about the way to heaven?" In other words, we're very straightforward about it. And frankly, a lot of them say, no, thank you, goodbye. We Before we even talk to them, we've already hung a track somewhere on their house so that even if they don't want a track, we all, all ask them always, would you like a, uh, some information? And a lot of times they'll take it, a gospel or a track. But even if they don't, there's one still hanging on their house somewhere because we already put that there before they came to the door. But uh, a lot of times from that point on, they'll say, yes, we would like to talk. And, and years ago, they would like to talk a lot more than they do now. They've grown tired of all the Christians knocking on their doors because God has been bringing a lot of Christians over this way. But yeah, right. uh, so what, what we'll do uh, very briefly is um, I will try to make a couple of statements that uh, I think will help them to see that their ideas about the gospel are not complete. 
okay? Because they think they know what we're going to say. They assume that they know everything that we'd say. So I, I will make a couple of statements so that they'll realize, oh, is that what you're saying? <laughs> and, and so it'll begin to open up the conversation just that way. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so um, the uh, uh, right now there's, there's uh, a couple of people I'm discipling. Uh, one of them is a young man named Sammy. And uh, this was the most unusual circumstance ever going door to door. Cause when I asked him this, um, these questions, he came right out and said, I'm like the Saul of Tarsus. Oh, wow. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm an, I was an Islamic apologist. Wow. And I've renounced that. And now I want to follow Jesus. And I said, when did this happen? He said, two months ago. So this is very recent. So this guy, I'm, I'm trying to disciple him. I see him once a week. I also have this Hindu guy that I know that I'm discipling. So uh, our, our hands are full with the door-to-door -door ministry and with trying to disciple the people. And we have two services a week. We also do Zoom here uh, for our services. So our hands are full. My wife is very much involved also uh, supporting the ministry and going door-to-door -door with me. So um, we're just, uh, oh, by the way, I, I do write a lot. Uh, I've written several books. Um, and uh, probably the most uh, read book of all is one on how to evangelize. So I, um, you know, there's a, I just want to mention this in case I forget that there is a website. Uh, it's called Stones Cry Out, one word, dot info, I-N-F-O, stonescryout.info. And uh, also there's weekly reports that we send out uh, that capture these conversations in written form that we have going door to door. Uh, people like them, Christians like them, uh, because they, some people learn about evangelism just reading about these conversations. Um, so if anybody's interested, they could uh, get in touch with me, go on the website, email me, and we can get them on that list of, for reports as well. Okay, so um, would you like to leave any? Uh, I, I want I want people to be able to see um, your your video on YouTube. Um, could you could you tell us how to get to your testimony there? And it, it's a very short video. I think it's about six minutes long. But um, could you lead us to that video? Could you also lead us to any place that we somebody could write you um, to connect with you? Yeah, there's also another website that I think is the easiest, accessible, most accessible as far as that stuff goes. It's called DearbornBible.org. Okay, that's our little home church that we planted. Dearborn, one word, DearbornBible.org. And right on the homepage are videos like that that are right there for people, not just the testimony video, but there's also the, the tracks that we write. There's uh, video uh, presentations that capture the information that's in those tracks. Okay. Right wonderful. Gosh, a lot of information. I want to thank you for your service um, for the Lord. And I want to thank you for coming on this program, Tom, that was so great for you to do that. And also it was great um, reconnecting with you after um, these few years. And I'd like to turn my attention right now to someone out there that you have heard, have, has heard Tom's testimony or maybe talking about accepting Jesus and having a struggle like he, he said he had to, he, he did it several times and he realized that the Lord had spoken to him very clearly, not with his ears, he said, but with his heart. Um, that you don't mean it. But I'd like to speak to the person that's out there that is ready to make a commitment to Jesus. And, you know, I love the story in, in Matthew, where Matthew says, Jesus looked at a man called Matthew and said, come and follow me. And Matthew dropped everything and ran towards Jesus. Was it the look that Jesus gave him that was loving? Was it a feeling that he had when he said Matthew? When it looked at a man called Matthew and said, come, was that initial come, follow me, is why he left everything behind? He left all the money, everything that had to do with taxpayer, you know, taking in taxpayers' money, 
and 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 all of his worldly possessions kind of right there and ran towards Jesus. If this is you today and you mean it with your heart and you want to drop your old life behind and take a walk, that first step towards Jesus, now would be the time. And And like Jesus talking to Tom in his heart, saying, you don't mean it. That is so key. You need to mean it with your heart. It's not a magical prayer. Follow me and mean it. Dear Jesus, forgive me for the sins of my past, present, and future. Father, help me in this new walk with you. I would like to accept Jesus into my heart. Cleanse me, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Like like Tom and like Matthew, you want to drop everything of the past and follow Jesus. So I ask you, Lord, help me in that walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you repented of your sins of the past and want now like to follow Jesus and have said that prayer in your heart and meant it, write me at On the Road with Jesus. The website is On the Road, R-H-O-D-E, with Jesus. There's a drop down at the bottom of the page where you can email me, or you can email me at R-A-H-Fisher at On the Road with Jesus dot com. Or you can call me and leave a message at 951-817-0094. If you've made that commitment and would like to share that with us, please write us and or maybe even write Tom at his website. But thank you for joining us today. Um, thank you again, Tom, for joining us and sharing from your heart. We'll see you next time on the road with Jesus. Bye for now. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.